0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. If we engage
1: with the salesperson, if we start saying yes to small things, then some automatic part of us goes, oh, well, we're on this person's side, like we are invested in this, like we can look at our own behavior and say, oh, well, if I was willing to put a small sticker in my window, I must care about this, right? If I've been willing to invest a little bit of money or a little bit of time in this, then it must be important to me. And so therefore you use that your own behavior to motivate and justify further behavior.
2: The golden question is What's the killer question that you could ask where you can identify the level of commitment that your customer is at with you? The example of that golden question, if you recall, was that a pet manufacturer of high quality pet food was trying to discover who is their sort of the main target audience. And what they discovered was that. People that bought presents for their pet at Christmas and on the pet's birthday were prime for this premium rated dog food. I think there's also something here about understanding where your customers are and understanding that sort of from a segmentation perspective as well. But going back to that golden question, what is your golden question? What is the the key thing that you can find out about your customers that will tell you at what level of commitment they are? So is it 10 fishing rods? Is it 20 fishing rods? Is it the manufacturer of the fishing rods? So on and so forth. So. Trying to define that, I think, also would help because, obviously, that then says, okay, what is it we need to do to get people to that point? But what is it that we need to do to move that group of people on? And that experience, again, may be different depending on the level of commitment.
1: So, Colin, suppose I wanted to get you to loan me $100. $100. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the start of something? That well, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> that reaction that you just had—that's where it causes me problems, right? Because if I just come out and say, "Hey, Colin, can I have hundred dollars?" You're going to say no. But what if I started off by saying, "Hey, Colin, could you give me a dollar so that I right. could, you know, buy something?" And you know, dollars, nothing. Sure. So you'd give me that. Yeah. And then I could come back and say, you know, you've you've already given me a little bit of money to help me further my my aims in life how'd you feel about giving me 20 dollars now right you know you've already kind of committed to something and then i could work my way slowly up to you giving me a hundred dollars because by getting you to give me a little bit of money i've kind of cracked that defense that that rule that ironclad rule that you have for yourself to never loan me any money ever (laughs) <laughs> Can I just add the word again? <laughs> and once once you've done it though, now that rule has been violated and you know, what's a little bit more. That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, good.
2: All right. So it, it's about gaining commitments and maybe starting off small. And before you know it, you're actually doing something that's much larger than you'd anticipated at the beginning.
1: No, no, it's about giving me money. That's, <laughs> that's what we're talking about today, Colin. Yes, we're talking about exactly what you, you mentioned. the The fancy scientific word for it is escalation of commitment. Right. This has like a A million different phrases that we all know that are associated with it. A lot of different sales techniques that are based off of it. Ones that we were talking about before we started recording. In for a penny, in for a pound, right? That's this escalation of commitment idea that, you know, if you've already already contributed a penny to something, then, you know, you feel committed to, to give a lot more later. And I presume this is not just about money. No,
2: no, it's not. So it could be also a volunteer group says, well, just come along and give us this and, you know, spend an hour here, or, and then you end up within six, six months' time, you're devoting 50% of your time to it or whatever.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so no, this is not just limited to to money at all. In fact, one of the more famous psychology studies that looked at this, they went around to neighborhoods and asked people to support some cause. Uh, I can't remember. It might've been like conserving water or something like that. Right. And some people that went around and they knocked on the door and they said, Hey, would you mind putting this small sticker in your window in front of your house, encouraging people to save water? And so some people got that and some people said yes to it. And then later they came around and um, they went to this neighborhood again. And some people they were talking to for the first time. So they hadn't gone to them earlier. And they just said, Hey, would you mind putting this large three foot by four foot sign in your yard, encouraging people to conserve water. And most people said no to that. Like, I don't don't want you defacing my property with this enormous sign. But among the people who had already agreed to have the little sticker in their window, they were much, much more likely to agree to have the big yard sign put up. Right. Sure. Because they'd already kind of shown some commitment to this cause. And, you know, in for a penny, in for a tiny sticker, in for a pound, in for a large yard sign.
2: Yeah, and we we've certainly had clients that use that sort of uh, escalating commitment as a sales technique. So they purposely build scripts within call centers to get customers to say yes to things very early on, and effectively get in the habit of saying yes. And the ask or the commitment that they're asking for obviously grows and grows and grows, and therefore the final theory is when you're you know asking for the order. Then they say yes, because they've said yes to every everything else as well.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, this is one of those sales techniques that has a lot of scientific backing. So Robert Cialdini, who's a psychologist, I think he's retired now, but he's at uh, uh, Arizona State University, who's kind of the preeminent psychologist of sales techniques. He called this the foot in the door technique. So the idea is that, you know, if you can, can get your, your traveling salesman can get his, his toe in the door and keep them from closing it then escalating commitment suggests that they'll eventually be inviting the salesperson in and buying whatever he's selling. I was thinking about
2: this the other day, actually, because like everybody, I get these bloody robo calls and spam calls. And anyway, my wife got a call and she started to interact with the person. And they were obviously starting to ask her questions. And I said to her afterwards, I said, it's not very nice, but actually you just have to put the phone down. And the danger is, is that as soon as you start answering questions or, or getting involved, that must be a sign to them that there's some form of hope here. So it, it's virtually along the same type of lines, isn't it? It, it? There's a commitment that I'm giving myself a bit of time. You know, this, this customer is not just putting the phone down on me. They're, they're actually talking to me for three or four minutes or five minutes or whatever it may be.
1: Well, I mean, that's what makes some of these sales techniques so insidious is because they are based on human biases. They're based on the the way that we're hardwired to react to things. And that's part of why they work. Let's dig into why, why escalation of commitment works from a scientific perspective. What's the theory? And it gets to exactly part of what you were, you were saying, our actions become evidence. Now, now you phrase it as evidence to the salesperson and that's true. But what's, what's even kind of trickier is that they become evidence to us. So if we engage with the salesperson, if we start saying yes to small things, then some automatic part of us goes, oh, well, we're on this person's side. Like we are invested in this. Like we can look at our own behavior and say, oh, well, if I was willing to put a small sticker in my window, I must care about this, right? If I've been willing to invest a little bit of money or a little bit of time in this, then it must be important to me. And so therefore you use that your own behavior to motivate and justify further behavior. So I guess this must be the
2: same as in marketing. And what I mean by that is as you were talking, I was just thinking that I was I was chatting to the marketing team the other day, and we were talking about people that go onto our website and who are engaged with us. Yep. And so therefore, we obviously have people go onto our website and don't bother joining. We then have people that go onto our website and join the website and then get access to all the other information. We then get people that go onto the website, get all the information uh, and read everything, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and, and obviously, what you're looking to try to get are people engaged. Yeah. And therefore, I guess that's the same as the commitment
1: that we're talking about here, isn't it? Yeah, very good. There are multiple schools of thought around kind of communication and advertising. There's one idea where you need to grab people's attention and give them the message very quickly uh, because people have short attention spans and they're very distracted. And that's true. There's another school of thought though that favors kind of long form advertising or or very high engagement communication. And the theory behind that is exactly what you're describing. Like if, if I'm willing to read a long form ad if i'm willing to engage in lots of information on a website all of that then becomes evidence to myself that i must be into this that this must be important to me and that then makes me more likely to invest further so yeah the more i read on the website the more time i spend the more pages i click through all of that then becomes evidence to myself that yeah i should sign up or i should buy from them i should engage
2: so that's again, from a sort of a more of a subconscious perspective, you're not necessarily doing that consciously. The subconscious message is, if I'm spending my time doing this, then I must be thinking that this is good or enjoyable or useful or whatever words you want to use.
1: Yeah, I I think this almost always happens at a kind of a non-conscious level. It it may be occasionally be that we are aware of this process happening. You and I have, have had a podcast before on self-perception where we talked through some of this and, and it's, it's a similar kind of idea. So if you had to endure some kind of hazing ritual to join some club or fraternity, the fact that you were willing to do that becomes evidence of how much you like the club. It's same thing, right? We're, we're looking at our own behavior. The fact that you were willing to endure reading this really long ad copy in order to find out what the message was is evidence that it must be important to you, that you must like it.
2: Or it must be evidence that you're just a very sad person. You
1: must need a hobby is what you must need in your life. Yeah. Some
2: evidence that you have too much too time on much your hands. Time.
1: <laughs> too many things to do.
2: Yeah, so, and again, I'm now thinking of when you join a club. So back in the day, I used to be in this um, round table, uh, which I mentioned is a bit like Rotary. And you started off going down there and and you'd meet once a week and that was it. Uh, And then you started to get into more and more things and you end up 10 years later and suddenly it's a major part of your life and all those other wonderful things. So I guess it's the interesting thing, isn't it? Is it's before you know it, you've gained that commitment. And I guess that must be the non-conscious thing that you're talking about. So, sorry, I'm not sure if I'm being clear. So you suddenly wake up one day and go, blimey, I'm spending 50% of my time doing
0: this. Who would have thought that five years ago? Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com contact.
1: Yeah. And it can be like, there are clubs for whom this is kind of deliberate. There, there are organizations for whom this happens very organically, but we can even do it to ourselves. Right. So I'm a hobbyist woodworker. It's something that I got into a while ago. And Looking at the investment in tools that I've put into my shop, that was an escalation of commitment. I, I started off with a saw at one point. There was one.
2: And don't even start talking about axes or anything
1: like that. Eh? No, I mean, uh, th- that's a separate <laughs> hobby in my mind. Right? There's there's the, the taking down oh, of separate. trees, and then there's the All one right. we do with the wood much later. Um, All they're, right. They're so you now performing. have
2: multiple saws.
1: Oh, yeah. Is that? Yeah. All right. So a silly question, right? Really, yeah, it isn't. really was, Colin. I'm a little <laughs> embarrassed that you're at. Um, But I mean, this is the path of hobbies for a lot of people, right? Where it's like, Oh, I'd like to play the guitar. Why don't I, you know, go to a, a secondhand store and and buy a cheap fifteen dollar guitar so I can learn to play. And then six years later, that person owns $4,000 worth of guitars. They've got uh, 15 of them leaning against the walls. And we start to do something. We start to enjoy it. That then becomes evidence of our commitment. And so we commit more and it kind of snowballs and spirals from there. And every action we take becomes evidence of, of how important it is to us. And so we commit further to it.
2: I enjoy fishing. So here in, in Florida, it's great for fishing, as you can well imagine. So I've got about, Ten fishing rods that I that I have. Okay, my wife uh, Lorraine doesn't understand why I need ten. Yeah, she used to send my son to play golf with one golf ball because she couldn't understand <laughs> why he would need more than one
1: golf. Well, ball. Well, she yeah? was just encouraging him to be good. Yeah, don't don't lose this one ball. Like, make sure you keep it on the fairway. There was motivation.
2: Yeah, well, she was doing that until he came home one day completely covered in mud because he'd <laughs> shot the golf ball into a pond. He then dived in to get it, yeah, and it, the pond was just full of silt and he just came out covered in mud. So there you go. But we,
1: we sidetracked. I don't know that we have because I think that you you could probably find, I'm not encouraging you to reveal it on the air, but I'm sure that there are things that Lorraine has Done the same thing for hobbies that she's gotten into, activities that she enjoys, where it, it has also become this kind of escalating commitment. This is a very human thing. We just get more and more into whatever we're into. Well, Lorraine enjoys cooking, which is good. And when she complains about how many
2: fishing rods I have, I ask her how many spoons she exactly. has. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we have to have different sized spoons that do all different things and so on and so forth. But no, you're right. So so I guess the interesting thing here is, and I'll tell you what, this actually goes back to an interview we did with Don Pepper. One of the interesting things from one of Don and Martha Rogers' book some time ago, do you remember us talking about the golden question? Yeah, yeah. The interesting bit is how can you tell at what level of commitment that you're at, okay? So if you're into fishing, then you've got 10 fishing rods. If you are only sort of do it very occasionally, you've probably got one or two, yeah? So for the listeners that haven't listened to the Don Pepper interview, and it was really a good interview, so I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But the golden question is: is, what's the killer question that you could ask And where I'm trying to draw these two things together, where you can identify the level of commitment that your customer is at with you. The example of that golden question, if you recall, which again, I think is a great one, was that a pet manufacturer of high quality pet food was trying to discover who is their sort of the main target audience. And what they discovered was that people that bought presents... For their pet at Christmas and on the pet's birthday were, and I can't believe people do that, but there you go, were prime for this premium rated dog food. So the golden question was do you buy presents for your pet on their birthdays and at Christmas? Yeah. The same would therefore apply with fishing rods, wouldn't it? How many fishing rods do you own? Because that starts to identify the level of commitment that you're at. And therefore, I'm on a bit of a roll here. uh, And therefore, what the experience (laughs) is that you should provide to those different
1: customers because they've got different levels of commitment. Oh, I've learned it's best to just stand back and and let you go. (laughs) My brain starts working. I mean, you're talking about something you're interested in and then you also fold it in fishing. Like, we just better all stand (laughs) back. and. Now,
2: if Apple did (laughs) a fishing rod.
1: (laughs) We would just shut down the podcast. There would be nothing else.
2: Oh, Oh, dear. Yeah. But seriously, you could actually therefore turn around and go, we're in this level of commitment. We want to increase the commitment from a sales perspective or from a marketing perspective to move people along. We need to give them different experiences. So by definition, you've got to define where that customer is in terms of their commitment. And I guess what you don't
1: do is just say, how committed are you to us on a scale of one to 10? (laughs) (laughs) That's, uh, yeah, that's not going to work. No, I I mean, I, I love this perspective. You're essentially arguing in favor of potentially segmenting customers by commitment level, which I think is potentially great. I think that that would be really useful for some organizations. The other part I would add to it is, do you have an escalation of commitment plan for your customers? So is there an easy on-ramp for customers or do you demand a massive commitment in order to, to first engage with your product or service or experience? Or are there ways for people to kind of tiptoe onto this escalator and and try it out, discover that they like it? And then do you afford easy ways for them to kind of move up the ladder to escalate their involvement with your brand? A couple of interesting questions. One is, is
2: there a difference between commitment and engagement? So commitment feels a stronger term. So I can be engaged with your organization I'm not necessarily committed to it.
1: Yeah. So I think that even, I mean, we mentioned that even something as simple as doing more reading on a website can lead to to kind of this escalation of commitment. So I, I think that even escalation of engagement is potentially good for your organization. But I do agree. I think that if we, if we think about the, the theory underlying this, the fact that uh, it is this self perception that I'm observing my own actions, then things that are more action like that are more behavioral are going to tend to be better evidence. So if I'm reading on the website and I'm reading for a long time, but I can go, I oh, yeah, it's just because I was bored, as opposed to specific actions that I have taken that prove that I am committed to this organization, those are going to be much more powerful and more persuasive to myself. And so I think that that'll work better.
2: Okay, so let's ask my usual question at this point. All interesting
1: stuff, but what does this mean that people should do? Right. I think we can have a couple of bits of specific advice around this. First of all, you can think of escalation of commitment as being kind of a a, a ramp or a ladder. And that suggests that you should have a kind of an easy entry point for people. So a way for people to, to dip their toe in the water. And this can be something as simple as, you know, allowing them multiple opportunities to say yes to uh, small things or small means of purchase or ways of of accessing information. But then there also should be this kind of ramping up process. So do you then have a next step for people where they can uh, move from that initial agreement, initial commitment, To uh, other kind of low-grade commitments so they can move along this process. If your process involves just selling of one big thing full stop, then you're not engaged in an escalation of commitment process. You don't have this foot-in-the-door technique down. So that would be my advice.
2: Yeah, and I think I think that's great. So certainly I would r- reinforce what you were saying about, think about this from a sales technique perspective, get your customers to start saying yes as many times as they can, early on as they can, and design that into your experience. Um, so design these points. So be deliberate about it is is the word that we would use. So make it a deliberate experience. I think there's also something here about understanding where your customers are and understanding that sort of from a segmentation perspective as well. But going back to that golden question, what is your golden question? What is the the key thing that you can find out about your customers that will tell you at what level of commitment they are? So is it 10 fishing rods? Is it 20 fishing rods? Is it the manufacturer of the fishing rods? So on and so forth. So trying to define that, I think, also would help because obviously that then says, okay, what is it we need to do to get people to that point? But what is it that we need to do to move that group of people on and that experience, again, may be different depending on the level of commitment.
1: And if I can add one more uh, thing that occurred to me as we were talking about this, we've been focused on kind of the company's perspective or the, the brand's perspective on this because this is a, a customer experience focused podcast. It, I think it's really useful for us to remember what causes us to self-escalate our commitment, right? I mean, the reason that that I own an embarrassingly expensive collection of tools and you and uh, an unreasonable number of fishing rods and your wife a ridiculous number of spoons is because Watch out. we don't stop. <laughs> she, um, you should be afraid of her, but she's got to travel <laughs> to get to me with those spoons. Um, um, but it's because we we found joy in those things, right? So I've engaged with organizations who design these processes in kind of this cold, pushy way, where like, yeah, I'm going to trick trick this customer into saying yes, and I'm going to trick them into saying yes again, and then I'm going to trick them into buying that's often not going to work. And when it does work, it's going to work in a way that leaves customers ultimately dissatisfied. If we focus on the customer experience where those initial toes that they dip in the water, you know, I I assume that the people who escalate their commitment on your website are doing it because they're really excited about the information that they're getting. And they're like finding some, some real excitement about the insights that are there. Are we designing this from an escalation of positive customer experience around each of these stages so that they, they want to get to the next stage because they're experiencing something great, as opposed to using trickery to work with people's hardwired preferences to get them to react in a way that's against their better interests. Like, let's, let's design this so that people love moving on to the next stage and, and we're allows, allowing them an easier, lower risk way of experiencing something great.
2: Yeah, no, and that's a very good point. Because, you know, what we know is people see through this, what we know is the subconscious, non-conscious areas, people, you know, you pick these things up and you go, yeah, they're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to sell me something, basically. And and you don't want it to be that you want it to be more uh, absolutely to be much more natural. Good. Okay. Well, thanks very much for everyone listening. If you could do us a favor and show your commitment to us by doing a review or just telling somebody about the podcast. You are always smooth. Conlon, always, always. Where you can tell people's commitment is whether
1: they're listening to this yeah, <laughs> true. at the end of the podcast. <laughs> if they've listened through all of our <laughs> terrible jokes back and forth. <laughs> that is it, it, it's,
2: it's just like sitting there in the cinema waiting with is there going to be something interesting that happens at the end <laughs> oh, sorry. so sorry to disappoint spoiler really
1: alert <laughs> nope <laughs> nothing interesting at the end <laughs> sorry
2: so yeah if you could share the podcast if you can do a review that would be really great that really does help us and we look forward to talking to you next week thanks very much bye-bye